Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Pastor Josh Carstensen is continuing a series on John, where Jesus, after feeding the 5,000 people, warns them to not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He's talking about the spiritual world. Why is it so hard to believe in that spiritual world? And what barriers do you have at times that keep you from believing with more certainty? After the message, you're invited to answer some application questions, which you can find on our website right under the worship service video. Now, here's today's teaching. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to go John chapter 6. Uh, we got Bibles all around in the seat in front of you. If you need one, John chapter 6. As we're headed there, I just wanted to have another uh, piece of encouragement to say, if you've been enjoying the John Journal, man, that has been such a gift to me. I've been loving every week, and I don't do it every single day because I'm in the book of John studying, but every week I kind of look at it and kind of think through, okay, God, personally with this particular journal, how do I interact with this? What are you doing through this? And it's been a huge source of encouragement to me. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, we made journals for everyone through this series. Uh, you can grab one at the Connect Desk. If you're online with us this morning, you can print one up. Uh, you can find that on our website. There's a digital version there as well. I would just really encourage you. We can only teach so much here, and we want to be people who are self-feeders. We want to be people who on our own are opening up God's Word and saying, God, what do you have for us throughout the week through your Word? And uh, a small piece of encouragement to do that with is this John Journal, and uh, I would just encourage you, keep going in that. And so today we're going to pick it up in John 6. It's part two of a message from last week. And so if you weren't here last week, that's okay. Um, you can go back and listen to it. I'm going to try to give a little bit of a recap, but I certainly will not give a full recap. So again, kind of part two of what was happening last week. And I'm going to be a little bit shorter up here. I've got some pretty exciting things to share at the end of service today. And so I want to make sure to give us enough time to get there. Um, so again, a little bit shorter today, a little bit more more succinct, but there's some pretty good stuff here in John chapter 6. So last week we see a really interesting part of Jesus' life. Um, we see him feed about 20,000 people. Uh, it's this massive miracle that uh, all the gospel writers write about. It's the only miracle that Jesus wrote about. And in some ways, it feels like it's really the highlight of his earthly ministry. But as you kind of peel back some of the layers, you really see some of the heart of Jesus. And you see some of the, the humanity of Jesus as he's going through a lot of grieving, a lot of mourning. But also you see his big desire in what he's trying to do. So as we've been looking at the life of Jesus, we know that the first part of his ministry was really exciting. A lot of people were following him. A lot of people were really enthused about some of the things that he was doing. He was doing these miracles and people are saying, man, you're incredible. I want to get to know you more. But then about halfway through his, his uh, kind of three-year ministry run, something happens. Something very different happens. He starts to break people's molds. He starts to say things that uh, put him outside of people's boxes. Ultimately, we saw this on Easter when he raises this, or not raises this man, but when he heals this man and he says, get up and walk, and he breaks their Sabbath rules. And so people are saying, wait a second, you're starting to break all of our rules, and the religious people start to reject Jesus. And so this begins a really different trajectory in Jesus' ministry to where towards the beginning, people were excited about him. They were wanting to follow him. 
him. But now, man, people are starting to really question him, starting to get angry about him, and really starting to plot his death. Um, we see that the next six months are just hard for him. Uh, they're hard in a lot of ways. He's experiencing a lot of rejection at this point. In fact, he gets kicked out of his hometown. That's got to be incredibly hard. So he's kicked out of his hometown. He's kind of a, a wanderer for a while. And then last week, right before he feeds the 5,000, he hears word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed. And, and so we see a little bit of the, the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus because we know that he knew it was coming. But as a man, it was, it was really hard because his cousin had just been killed. And so uh, the text says that he's trying to get away. He's trying to get away by himself with his close few disciples so that he can mourn. And so he's getting in a boat to try to go out to a place by himself. Again, he's discouraged. He's sad. He's mourning the loss of a friend, his cousin, John. And while he is on the boat... While he is literally trying to get away, people recognize him on the boat and they start to follow him along the shore and they say, hey, this is the one who's healing people. And the text says that Jesus had compassion on them, that he saw them uh, as sheep without a shepherd. So he pulls his boat over, he gets out and he heals people for a majority of the day. Right, So he's healing all kinds of people, which I would have loved to have been there for that. I think that would have been pretty awesome, I'm just saying. But um, John doesn't even talk about that because John has something bigger, a bigger story that he's trying to tell. So at the end of the day, everyone's hungry, and Jesus, uh, he takes five crackers, if you will, two tiny little fish, and he feeds 20,000 people. Ultimately, what he's trying to do in this is he's trying to say, I'm God. I'm trying to break bread with you. I'm trying to have a relationship with you. I want you to see this sign to know that I have something so much greater for you than just food. But people saw this as an earthly sign and said, great, you can do all the things that we want for us here on earth. And they try to make him king. Jesus knows that he's try- they are trying to make him king. And so he's super discouraged and he runs away. So here's Jesus. He's running away because he is heartbroken that people didn't get it. The next day... They're searching for Jesus. They're trying to find him. And that's what we see in our text today. And we get, we get a piece of, of uh, this story that no other gospel writer writes about. Everyone wrote about the miracle. Only John writes about kind of this backstory of what really happened afterwards. And here we're going to see the heart of Jesus once again in a way that um, is pretty confusing for some in a lot of ways. Because last week we saw 20,000 people wanting to make Jesus king. This week, by the time it's done, Jesus is going to offend some 20,000 people. They're going to walk away and never return. So what does he do? What is so offensive? He's going to spell out the human condition. He's going to say, this is the problem with humanity. He's going to give our remedy, and it's going to be really offensive. By the time it's done, he only has 12 of his closest disciples left, and he asks perhaps the saddest question that he ever asks anyone in the entire Bible. He says, do you want to leave me also? So what does Jesus do that offends so many people that everyone leaves and refuses to follow? Ultimately, today for you and I, we're going to be face-to-face with the real Jesus, not just the Jesus that we like, not just the Jesus that is attractive, not the Jesus that just makes my life better, but the Jesus that says things that are, that are pretty hard to hear. Today, we're going to work through some theological truths that, quite frankly, they're hard. They're hard to wrestle with. But this is the real Jesus, the Jesus that ultimately got him killed on a cross, but the Jesus who is more true 
than ever before here. And so um, we're going to look at the problem of the human condition. We're going to look at the solution that Jesus gives. We're going to look at why this is so offensive. And we're going to do this in three sections. I'm going to affectionately call these sections one, two, and three. Um, I'm not really good at clever titles, but um, I was kind of proud of myself because I have two points for every one of these sections, which is not like my style either. So for, for those of you who want things different, first of all, you're welcome that it's really light in here. Second of all, two titles for each of the sections. Two titles. The first title is Two Worlds, Two Truths, and Two Responses. Again, I normally don't preach like this, but uh, you're welcome. Here we go. Section number one. We're going to start in John chapter 6, verse 25 looking at the problem of the human condition. Um, we're not going to stand today because we're just going to work through this whole thing. And it's, it's going to be a little bit more chunky than a normal sermon because it's a huge argument here that Jesus gives. And I'm going to do my best to hold to the text. So here we go, starting in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Again, you've got Jesus who left the day before. Um, He was incredibly discouraged. They didn't understand what he was trying to do. They find him again, and they're wanting to make him king. And ultimately, Jesus says these words, don't work for the food that perishes. He knows that they want him because he just fed them. He knows that that they want him for all these physical signs that he can do, all these earthly blessings, if you will. And Jesus says there's something so much greater than this. He says, work for the food that endures to eternal life. Translation, you don't see the world correctly. You see part of the world. You see the physical world. And that world is going to perish. But there's another world that exists that you don't see correctly. There is a spiritual world, and that world is eternal. So two truths. Truth number one, a physical world exists, and that world is temporary. Truth number two, the spiritual world exists and that world is eternal. Both are important. One is more significant than the other. The first world, the physical world, right? It, I don't have to make an argument today that the physical world exists, right? If I have to make that kind of argument, we've got much bigger problems. There's probably some psychiatrists in the room. We can work through that later. But all of us know and believe that the physical world exists, right? Like this is a piece of paper. I know what it is. I can, I can see it. I can touch it. I guess I could taste it. Um, I can feel it. Like we, we know this world. It's transactional. We know relationships. We know people. The physical world is very present. A lot of our efforts go towards this physical world, right? In, in Jesus' day, when he says, don't work just for food, right? That's basically like, don't work um, just for the things that are here on earth because 70 to 80% of their total income went towards food. If we had to translate it to us, he'd say, don't just work for your house or your retirement or a vacation, uh, or your kids, or new clothes, or a new car. Don't just work for those things. All those things are going to end. So that's the physical world. Again, that's, it's not hard to make an argument that the physical world exists. But he says it's a problem if we just focus on the physical world because it's going to perish. It's going to end. Work for the spiritual world. Now, if we're to be honest, the spiritual world is a lot harder to understand. Right? It's not as straightforward. 
It's not as obvious that a God exists who rules over the universe, who has uh, you know, personal aseity, who is not contingent upon anything. That's not as obvious to most people. It's not as obvious that spiritual beings exist. Right? It's not as obvious that there are such a thing as angels and demons and other little gods who have their own personal volition and will. That's not as obvious. Right? I, I've met many people dozens at this point, who've told me at different times that they have seen um, these beings at different points. And every time I hear someone say that, first of all, I get jealous because I believe they exist. But there's still a part of me that always kind of wonders, that always kind of doubts, and I actually believe they exist. Right? Can you, can, has you, have you ever been in that situation? Someone says, I've seen something, and you go, ah, maybe. Right? Because here's the deal. You can believe something, and belief is on a, a certainty gradient. Right? You, I've shared this before, but you can believe something and be 51% certain and, and, and you believe it. But that certainty gradient goes all the way to 100%, right? 100% to 51%. And when it comes to spiritual things, I think we fluctuate all the time on the certainty gradient. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were at a conference and uh, we were listening to a speaker speak and he happened to be one of my favorite professors from my seminary. And he was telling about an experience that he had where he was speaking in class one day and he saw an angel standing next to him. He was telling us what this felt like, a little bit scary. Later that week and later that month, two other students came up to him at different times and they said, uh, Professor Moreland, I don't know how to say this. This really freaked me out, but I saw something next to you when you were teaching this class, this lecture, this day. And JP says, yeah, I know, I saw it too. And I hear that. And probably like a lot of you right now, you're like, yes, that's great. Like, wow, I believe in these things. But there's also part of you that's like, man, I, maybe I haven't seen something like that before. So the truth is, it's, it is hard to really grasp the spiritual world. But if scripture is true, which we believe it's true, and I believe that it's true with my whole heart, Jesus says that that is the world that's eternal. That's the world that matters the most. And the problem is we spend a lot of our effort, a lot of our energy on the physical world. And Jesus is saying, no, more of your effort needs to go to the spiritual world because this is the world that matters the most. Theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer has this to say about these two worlds. He says, when I say that there are two worlds, the material and the spiritual, I do not mean to out the material world. God made it also but not to last. He only made it temporary in the same manner as when they put up scaffolding when when building a cathedral. The scaffolding is torn down after a while and the cathedral stands for 10 centuries. So God has given us the physical. He's not angry about it and we don't have to apologize when we touch the physical, but but the woe of the present day is that the physical has swallowed us up and we forget that there is another world. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. Problem number one, we focus a lot of our effort on the physical world. We we put a lot of effort in raising our children and going to school and learning certain things and reading things and entertaining and building things and our jobs and careers. And those aren't bad things, but there are things that matter more. Notice it's not a bad thing. Jesus fed everyone. That was important. Everyone had to eat. So Jesus feeds the 20,000. But there's something greater than that. There's something that leads to eternal life. So section number two, the solution to the problem. How do we get this bread that leads to eternal life? How do we work for that food? We're going to pick it up in verse 29. 
People respond to Jesus who says this in verse 29, and they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, how do I work for something that counts for eternity? How do I work for the spiritual world? And Jesus answers them, and he says, this is the work of God, and it's very simple, and it's very straightforward, and it's very complicated, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's all you got to do. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus is saying, you just believe in me. That's the work of God. This is the food that lasts to eternal life. It's believing in me. So the answer is very, very simple. If you want food that lasts forever, you believe in me. You believe that I am God. But the problem is, the thing that makes it so complicated is, if you're having a hard time believing that the spiritual world exists, it's really hard to believe that Jesus is from God. Or that Jesus is God, that he's from the spiritual. That's hard to believe. And they respond and they have questions about this in verse 30. It says, so they said to him, what sign do you do so that we may see you and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Basically, it was easy to believe that Moses was, um, was part of the spiritual world because when they were hungry, food came down from heaven and everyone ate. And they're saying, what sign do you give us? If you say that you are the bread of life, if you say that you are the, the path to eternal life, how can we believe you? Give us a sign, which I think is really interesting because didn't he just give them a sign the day before? But here they're saying, no, we need something more. And what's interesting is they go back to Moses and Jesus talks about Moses and he says, here's the deal with Moses. You think um, that he was uh, something special from God, but when God was giving them food, what God was doing was he's saying, hey, believe in me. I exist. I love you. I am for you. Uh, The bread that I'm giving you really is, is a much bigger thing than just physical bread. It's a sign to show you that I love you and I am for you. Jesus responds, or the people respond and they say, give us this bread. If God has this bread that lasts forever, everyone's saying, well, give it to us. How do we get this bread? Jesus says in verse 35, he says, I am this bread. I am the bread of life. Well, how do we believe that? Right? How do we get to the point where we can believe that Jesus is the bread of life? You know, if, if he's supposed to be this, this intermediary who comes to the earth to show us God's goodness, to show us who God is, to show us his nature, to give us this path to eternal life, how do we believe that? Because that's pretty hard, especially if you're struggling to believe in the uh, spiritual world. So section number two, two truths. These are truths that have been argued for thousands of years. Here are the two truths. How do we believe? If belief in you is the answer to the question, how do we actually do that? Two truths. Two, number one, anyone can choose to believe. Truth number two, only those whom God chooses can believe. Right now, again, people believe for a long time that these are contradictory. They're really, it's really hard to understand. It, it, it seems as if one does not lead to the other. Um, but there are things in Scripture, there are things in life that are like this. We call them antinomies. They are two truths that seem contradictory, yet are both true. This would be the same of Jesus being both fully God and fully man. And we see this. Jesus is going to spell this out in the next few verses. So listen to the first truth that you and I are responsible for making this choice to believe. We see this in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me 
shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Right? Those words are a universal invitation to salvation. He's saying, whoever believes in me, whoever, whoever believes in me, that is, that is the offer is open to anyone. And he also says, um, yet you did not believe. Talking about individual responsibility. We have a choice to make. This offer is real. It's not a false offer. Every single one of us in this room, we have a choice to make. Does the spiritual exist? Right? And not only does the spiritual exist, but is Jesus God? We have that choice to make. But then Jesus follows it up and he says, yes, that's true. But there's another truth. Only those whom God chooses can believe. This is where it starts to get pretty offensive. Starting in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Do you catch that? All that the Father gives me will come to me. God is completely sovereign when it comes to our election and our salvation. He makes that very, very clear. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And then he jumps right back to our choice in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, back to the responsibility of man. So two truths. We are responsible for making a choice to believe that Jesus is God. And God is responsible for our election in allowing us to make this decision. Two truths. Each of these statements are true. So problem. Here's the problem. We put all of our effort into the physical world, but that's not the world that lasts. The spiritual world is the world that lasts, and we need to put our efforts toward the spiritual world. And the way that we put our efforts toward the spiritual world is by believing that Jesus is God, And we do that through two ways. We make a choice and God elects. Section number three, our response. The Jews grumbled about this. We see this in verse 41. Because he said to them, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Right? They're saying like, wait a second, how is it that you're able to say that you come from heaven? Because I'm pretty sure that I know the address that you grew up in. I knew your mom and dad. And he continues in verse 43, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Here's Jesus saying, I know this is really hard to believe. I know this is hard to understand. No one, verse 44, can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Man, again, Jesus knows this is really, really challenging. He knows it's impossible to believe unless God draws you. He says this in verse 47 to reiterate that we have a choice. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Jesus goes on, if we were to kind of work through this whole thing, it's a a long section and he gives a lot of analogies and some of the analogies are kind of hard to, to follow, but he's perpetually saying, guys, believe in me. That's what matters. You need to believe in me. But then he goes on in verse 60, 60 and he acknowledges once again that this is really hard for a lot of people to do. He's, uh, the people say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And here's Jesus affirming their struggle in verse 63. 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Basically, unless the Spirit helps you believe, you will not be able to believe. Verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And here's people's reaction in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Notice it doesn't say, after this, the crowd of people who just met him for the first time heard this harsh message and walked away. No, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And then you get perhaps the saddest words, like I said earlier, that you will ever see in verse 67. Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, the reality is a lot of people reject the belief that Jesus is God. A lot of people, right? We are a minority in our town gathering at church right now. I mean, this is just the reality of the world. And it was a minority back then. And it's a hard truth to understand, and it's something that I've wrestled with many times in my life as I've known and loved people who are wrestling with this decision of faith. Like, Jesus, if people come to you as an invitation from the Father that you give, why don't you give that invitation more? Right? But then it's also true that people have to make a choice, that we have this real choice that we have to make. And so, man... It's one of these sections that you get to and you just say, Jesus, I I don't know how this all works. But I have a choice to make. I have a choice that I can either walk away and say, you know what, I don't want any of this and be part of the crowd that no longer walked with him. Or I can be like Peter and I can say, where else am I going to go? I have no other option for you have the words of life. Two worlds, two truths, two responses. Two worlds. There is both a physical world and a spiritual world, and one world is going to outlast the other. The spiritual world is going to far outlast the other. Two truths. We are responsible for making a choice to believe that Jesus is God, and God is sovereign in his election of those who will believe. And finally, two responses. Thousands walked away and never came back, and 12, eventually 11, say, you have the words of life. And so we have a choice to make. Right, for some of us, um, we've been coming to church for a while. We've been doing the whole Christianity thing, and we have a, have a choice before us today. We have a choice that says, okay, am I going to choose to believe that you are God? Because that is the food that leads to eternal life. It's very simple. That is all the food that you need. Right, so I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm going to ask you, just close your eyes right now. For some of us right now, we, we've grown up, maybe we're new to church I'm just going to say, for some of us, we need to just make that declaration. We need to make a decision that says, Jesus, I believe in the spiritual world. I believe that you are God. I believe that you are the food that leads to eternal life. Some of us need to make that decision today. If that's you, I just want you to look at me. Just make eye contact with me. I see some of you. Some of us just need to make a decision. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I I have been struggling with believing in the spiritual world. I've been struggling to believe that you are the only way to eternal life. 
But Jesus, I just make that decision right now. I believe that you are the food that I need. Thank you. For the rest of us who've made this decision, my prayer is going to be pretty simple. That we would be like the disciples who gave their lives to spreading the word that what matters most is not food that perishes. Because the reality is it can be so easy to spend our life trying to get a nicer house, a nicer car, a better vacation, more friends, better barbecues, whatever. And yet you say, work for the food that doesn't perish. God, let us give our lives to things that matter. And at the end of the day, everything here that we see and touch and taste in the physical world is temporary, but the things of you are eternal. Let us put our effort there. Jesus, thank you for our time together here. Jesus, thank you for this kind of harsher text that a lot of people heard and a lot of people walked away and they said, man, I see the problem, but I don't know that I buy the solution. Thousands walked away. You went from potentially 20,000 people to just a handful. And God, there are truths in Scripture that are hard to understand. They're hard to wrestle with when we come down to like, hey, this is my child. My child's struggling to believe. God, why don't you just open their eyes so that they would see? Spirit, why don't you just draw them? And we have to wrestle in that tension. But God, we also live in the hope that you are good, that you are kind, you are gracious. Jesus, we thank you for your gift of life to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage, including resources like our application questions. Thanks again for listening.